This is episode number 29, Generational Poverty to Generational Wealth with Tiffany Jacobs. Welcome. My name is Oleg Loki, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of adoptees and foster youth who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming seminar on June 23rd in Austin, Texas. A seminar where you'll have a chance to connect with hundreds of people who are going through a similar transformation that you are. A seminar where you'll hear from speakers from all over the country, including Jim Bricker, Anna Heffron, Leslie Johnson, Adele Harris, Joshua Banks, Peter Stropel, and myself included. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today forward slash hear me now. Now, let's get back to our guests. What would you do if you became homeless today? A condition that is unimaginable to most, if not all of us. A condition that made Tiffany become more resourceful so she would never have to lay her head on the concrete ground again to sleep or beg at a church or soup kitchen for a meal in order to survive. Without further ado, please welcome Tiffany Jacobs. Thank you so much for being on this show. And what I would like you to do is I would like to start off with a fun fact. And that being, what is something that you've recently Googled that's telling about yourself? Something that I recently Googled. Um, uh, you know, I, I just recently Googled how to uh, write a blog, really. Mm. <laughs> I am always Googling uh, stuff that is uh, really about my business, things that I'm interested in that's going to progress me further in life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always working out uh action plans for ideas that I have. And so uh, I've, I've been Googling, you know, how to write a blog, how to build a webinar, how to, what does it mean to be, you know, about financial literacy, things that I'm currently active in is the things that I Google that I want to learn more about. Mm. And I know, so, and we'll dive into this more as we get into this, but uh, you br- briefly mentioned your work with financial literacy. Could you tell some of our listeners what it is exactly that you're trying to accomplish through this project? Absolutely. Ultimately, it's ending the cycle of poverty that is so prevalent in our lives. Um, We have been building and living in generational poverty, and we don't have to because there are, you know, financial education is the key to understanding how money works, having Mm -hmm. money not control you and have you control your money. And so I want to be able to educate families, educate young adults, about how money works, how to put a, put aside 10 to 20% of your paycheck, every single paycheck, just like you pay your cell phone bill. You, you're, you are as important as your cell phone bill. Mm-hmm. And so it's about um, 
planning for your future, planning to live beyond your retirement, because we are all, you know, in this day and age, living healthier lives. And so we're living longer as well, but we're not planning for our future as far as our savings. And so um, growing up in poverty and seeing how hard my mother worked just to provide small morsels of food for her children. Um, I know that if, she, if, if everyone just had a little bit of financial education, uh, at least that worry will be off the table. Mm. When was that pivotal point in your mind where you said, you know, it's time for me to get out, out of the situation that I was and start educating myself, surrounding myself with all these resources and mentors and things like that. Do you remember that pivotal point that happened to you? Uh, absolutely. You know, I um, have done so much with the Freedom Writers and uh, traveled and um, spoken to audiences and uh, went to college and, and got my degree and, and achieved things that I didn't think I would ever achieve. And I looked at my life at 36 years old, uh, realizing my bank account is, is, is doesn't reflect all the <laughs> amazing experiences I've had. And so I started to realize, you know, really when um, I had ACL surgery a few years ago, and um, I have been working through physical therapy just to get stronger. And I started to realize, wow, at 36 years old, if, if something, you know, really bad happened, I don't have long-term care protection. Mm -hmm. I don't have uh, a savings vehicle that would allow me to take care of myself if something, if I, if I didn't have any income. And so it kind of struck a chord in me like, wow, am I, all the things that I have been trying to achieve, am I trying to achieve not ever being homeless again. Mm. And, and that, that means that I have to take more concern about my spending habits, about my finances and about, you know, um, putting my resources into myself so that I never lay my, my head on a concrete ground ever again, never have to beg from a, a, a church or a soup kitchen for a meal because I could take care of myself, my family and my community if need be. And I want to, have everyone just have that sense of peace that um, because they are educated, because everyone's on the same page about finances, that we could feed our families. We can make sure our kids go to school not hungry. We can make sure that you know, kids in the wintertime have jackets. They're, you know, I went to speak at one school and it was so traumatic that so many kids had to go to school in the snow with no, without the proper uh, clothes. Mm. And it just, it, it's just, we're we're living in this generational poverty when there really could be generational wealth just through financial literacy. Mm -hmm. That's a good point you bring that up because that's something that I've had to learn throughout my life, and that is when I was living abroad, you know, just as you mentioned, there, the, it, you're not given a lot of the same the same things that you are, I think, in the United States. Mm -hmm. And in my life, um, there were definitely days when I had to figure stuff out like that, such as. You know, going out there and begging for food or making some of those decisions in order to survive, yes, it might have seen um, humiliating or embarrassing at the time, but it's like one of those things where it had to be done. So I can I can somewhat relate to you saying that and not being want, not wanting to go back to that lifestyle because right. what I think it actually has done is that, yes, it has made me stronger, but then it also like it, it kind of redefines it. As far as like, well, I don't, I don't really want to do that ever again, mm -hmm. type of thing. Absolutely. 
And it gives you the strength to ask for the other things you need in life as well. You know, my mom says a closed mouth don't get fed. And if you're not going to ask, you're not going to get. And so I think growing up in poverty gives us kind of a strength that not a lot of people may have as far as, you know, being in survival mode. You have to go out and get it or else you're not going to have. And so it kind of gives you that knowledge that you can be resilient no matter where you go or where you fall because you can pick yourself back up you can find your resources you can you can be able to 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 take care of yourself mm-hmm. you bring up a good point which is actually the theme of today's conversation and that is path to resilience in your eyes what does it mean to be resilient and how can one become resilient to me resilience is everything i mean i even i i i love that i say that i i'm promoting positivity and resilience and humanity because no matter where you are on the socioeconomic level things happen and you fall and you everyone feels that feeling of defeat and discomfort and knowing that they failed but what is it that you're going to do with that failure Mm. that is the pivotal moment of defining if you're resilient or not. Are you going to give up? Are you going to wallow in self-pity? Are you going to complain? Are you just going to cry it out? And all those things are okay, but just for a moment, just for a split second, you give you, you allow yourself to, oh my God, I just fell. I can't believe it happened. And, and get, get over that discomfort before you say, okay, what's the next step? And your next steps is what defines your resilience. Are you going to be confident enough to try it again six, seven, eight, nine times? Mm-hmm. Because that feeling of winning mm-hmm. is so amazing. It is powerful to know, oh, my God, I did it. And that saying I did it means that you didn't do it a couple of times. <laughs> you know, but you had to get it right. And to know that, you know, whether it's, Uh, studying for a test that you failed at and then you studied harder and you understood the material and then you you aced that test you know it's it's little things um and so that uh being resilient is defining your next steps and Mm -hmm. truly uh learning lessons from the past uh to try it again to see if you can do it better and see if you can actually achieve the goal that you set out to achieve interesting that you say that because one of the things my parents taught me when I was adopted was uh, my dad told me, uh, yes, you can. And then the other phrase he used was, don't ever take no for an answer. And, <laughs> and and it's so prevalent, I think, that once you look at the everything and all the challenges in that matter, it, it really simplifies things. It, it And mm-hmm. for me, I think one of the first realizations was many, many years ago, and I was trying... Um, I was trying to do complete a task. I think it was a homework assignment and I just wasn't able to get past a certain point to solve the problem. And I just tried it more and more and I went to my dad and he helped me um, find a different way. And that's really what I found is that never take no for an answer really just means that there's another way that exists to that particular problem. And as long as you think about it in those terms, then in a way you're going to redefine subjects like failure failure are not going to be looked upon as these um, negative events that are happening, but more so it's just the learning process. Right. And and it's true with any new task that you pick up along the way is that you're going to have that learning curve with everything you exactly. do. Exactly. 
And it's don't change your dream, change your plan, mm. you know, change the route that you go to get to that dream. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to jump back a little bit and actually touch base on your story, because that's one of the things that drew me to um, your profile and the work you were doing. And uh, the question I had is, how did you find the courage to tell your story? Um, it was, it was, uh, it was a journey to share my story, to get to a point where I was sharing it in front of 15,000 people. The the video that you saw was through, uh, uh, the, the company that I, I am in to teach financial literacy. Uh, they asked me because I'm an original freedom writer, uh, to, uh, share why it's important to be financially educated. Uh, I submitted it to Goldcast, and they decided to share it with the world. And it's uh, just been getting such an amazing response. But to get to that moment, uh, I was a little girl, 14 years old, in a classroom in Long Beach, California. I had a teacher named Erin Gruwell, and we used to journal write and diary write. And we started learning about um, the Holocaust and other genocides like the Rwanda genocides and uh, the killing fields in Cambodia and things like that. And so um, I started to see all these survivors, not victims, uh, share their stories and of overcoming such incredible tragedies. Um, but when we got the idea to write our book in our diary, I was terrified because uh, in, in my household and many African-American households, we're taught no matter what, you know, don't share anything that happens behind closed doors. Mm. You keep what happens in this house to yourself. And so uh, walking in life in that respect to to creative image that everything is okay on the outside, always be smiling, happy Tiffany, knowing that uh, there was abuse and domestic violence and extreme hunger happening in my household um, and and being told not to tell anyone either. That was really um, a hard thing for me to try to to break. And um, I used to see all the other uh, uh, classmates writing their stories and just being so excited in the process that we were actually it's okay to write down what happened to you and what the things that are going on in your life. For me, a diary, you know, if I got one for Christmas, it became just, you know, a phone book. So to write notes down when someone called, like I never took a diary serious. I never took a journal seriously uh, until we started to read the diary of Anne Frank, until we started to read Slata's uh, diary, A Child's Life in Sarajevo, Bosnia. And I started to hear from uh, young girls my age that were writing about the things that they were going through growing up through war. Um, and, uh, you know, I heard Renee Firestone's story. She's a Holocaust survivor. And I heard so many different, Erin Gruel had, had the presence of mind to introduce us to, to people who had overcome so much and we're still able to share their stories and so being in an atmosphere where people are sharing their stories it breaks you down a little you have Mm -hmm. to you're going to start participating you're going to start saying little nuggets you know and so um i just started to to well what one thing that happened was we we went to uh national university and i erin had a class that she was uh teaching other young teachers how to be 
better teachers. And so she decided to use her high school class kind of as um, um, a, a focus group for them to learn and kind of their first set of students they can practice on, teaching on. And we were uh, doing uh, uh, an activity and the, the subject of homelessness came up. And Erin scoured the room to see who could, you know, talk on that subject. And I just started going down, down in my seat. I did not want her to lay eyes on me because I knew she knew a little bit of my story. Um, but in that moment, uh, she called on me. I stood up and just everything came out. It was just the one time that I, I said to myself that I, you know, no matter what was told to me in the house, not to say anything, it's so, it's overpowering when you're in a group that is so warm and welcoming and loving and, and wanting to help and, and so sincere in, in wanting to listen to your story. Um, and so whatever damn in me broke and I just, said everything it was you know I was talking for so long I think I was talking too much but once if you've never shared your story and it's things are so painful that you're always holding them back you know it just all comes out and so um in that moment I knew what I was going to write and I just took what I said you know in, in in that classroom and put pen to paper and started to write my story and I think I was writing for days on end literally and uh when i turned in my journal it was literally it was like 10 to 14 pages and our editor was like it's only supposed to be a page and a half and so i had to <laughs> i was like but it, i did it i said it it's out you know and um it felt so good it's just like a knot in your stomach gets released and you're able to breathe and it's not a secret anymore and mm -hmm. So your your story was said in your own words, um, and and it was like you're writing to yourself too. Um, but it was so it was so powerful for me to 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 break that seal and and finally kind of say what what my life was like up until that point. Um, and I did scale my story back. It took a lot of editing, a lot of rewrites, but uh, I finally got into a page. And I think mine is the, one of the only, like, really two-page <laughs> stories in the Freedom Writer's Diary. But um, from that moment on, I didn't stop speaking. You know, I used to be so quiet and shy and barely spoke all day to anyone. And uh, from that moment on, I just became so just happy and effervescent and it just it just, just it just didn't bother me anymore and I did, it wasn't shameful because it wasn't my responsibility to raise me you know and so I had to take that guilt of growing up uh kind of remove myself a little bit from my family still love but kind of remove myself from the damage so that I can focus on my future I was going to ask that how did you how you overcame the fear of the things that would come from your family because one of the things I'm noticing along the way after doing a lot of interviews and having people submit their stories is that there's still that fear of not wanting to either be a burden or disappoint their parents. So in this case, it's, it's especially prevalent in those that get adopted into a family or even um, foster youth who go from one house to another and really not knowing how long they're going to stay at, at a particular house. 
And so one of the things I've been curious about is really trying to understand what is it that people are afraid of when it comes, like in your case, you know, you had a, a different family culture versus the one that I was um, brought into. And so w- with that said, how did you overcome that fear? And are there any steps that people can take that maybe are facing a similar situation that you are? I think to overcome fear is to plan your future and to write down the steps you're going to take to get to where you want to go and make that your laser focus and everything else has to fade away. Um, You know, if you have something you need to share, if there's a goal you're trying to achieve and you're worried about what someone else is going to say, at the end of the day, 20 years down the line, that person is not going to be relevant in your success or Mm -hmm. your failure. You know, they're just going to have an opinion. And so if that opinion is outweighs your goals, you're never going to succeed. And so you have to kind of put the, like when you're on a plane and they say, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before anyone else. In that respect, you have to be selfish. And, you know, I'm not, I can't, I'm such a giving person. I give everything to everyone, but I had to learn that as well is, you know, what opinions are people going to have of me um, for the stories and the things that I was sharing with the world. And at the end of the day, those truths are those truths. You can't mm-hmm. take them away. So if you, whether you're mad that it happened, that's not my fault. Whether you're mad that I'm speaking it, I, I can't do nothing about it. You be mad if you want to is my thing. Go sit in the closet and be mad if you want to because I'm going to move on with my life. I'm going to share my story. I'm going to achieve my goals, whether you're mad or not. And so that's kind of the kind of the hats you got to put on sometimes, uh, even when it's with some of the closest people in in your world. Because at the end of the day, like I said, if they're not paying for your education, if they're not making any effort to help you achieve your goals, it doesn't matter what their opinion is. Mm-hmm. That's a very valid point. I think they. The path to failure, I guess you could say, is trying to please everyone. Right. And I, th- I think in this case, and I, I noticed it um, too along the way, is that the more and more I shared my story, the more confidence I developed. But then you, you could tell that, and this is, and, and there's no right or wrong. Some people will um, gravitate towards your story, and then for some mm-hmm. people, it may not click. And it's not because they don't respect your experience, but I think mm-hmm. it's more so because it's, it's that much harder for them to relate especially through something if it's that they haven't been through so that that's probably that's what i've noticed along the way is that that's one of the bigger challenges that people face when it comes to relating to one's experience right but even the ones that don't relate they're learning something new you know Mm -hmm. i've learned you can learn something from everybody from all walks of life from Mm -hmm. a homeless man or the president so treating everyone with the respect and dignity of being a human being you can you know you can learn something from everyone and uh with the freedom writers we've traveled so much and spoken to many different types of schools schools in poverty schools that are well off and uh someone like you said is going through something uh, that relates to one of our stories. Uh, and if they didn't relate, 
they their mind was open to a new way that other people live that mm -hmm. they didn't ever think about. Some people never even know what it's like to open their refrigerator and it's empty and there's a stick of butter and a can of beans. They don't know what it's like to never go in and just grab what they want and eat because it's there. Um, and so it kind of opens up your mind to other people's experiences and hopefully makes you more empathetic to mm. uh, situations as you walk in life and you see someone hungry and you say, I have, so let me give. Mm -hmm. And it just makes the world a little bit of a better place. Final question for today's episode, and that is when the odds are completely against you, what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to? Put your pride and ego aside and ask for help. <laughs> like my mama said, a closed mouth don't get fed. And if you have exhausted all resources, Find more resources, you know, talk to people that don't be afraid to make that phone call. Don't be af uh, afraid to uh, ask for a mentor. Some people, there's people in their lives that they know that they can learn from, but they may be too nervous uh, to ask for that help and really mm -hmm. guide guidance. And so you have, you know, or even if you think you should know everything, but you they're still on your level, but they're more successful. You have to put your pride and ego aside and, and, and ask, say, here I am. This is what I have. Where am I going wrong? And, and how do you think I can move forward? And you may get so many more ideas that you never even thought of that you can start branching off of uh, to, to still go back to your ultimate goal of whatever dream that is. But ask for help. Don't be ashamed. Don't be uh, prideful. You know, you have to put all that aside and, and, and become a student of the world. Put a learning hat on at, at all opportunities. Even when you're teaching, you want to be learning from the people that, that is, are in your audience and in your, in your class. Um, so, yeah, ask for help for sure. Don't be stuck. Don't be complacent in your, uh, in your failure, you know, and uh, don't give up. It's the biggest thing. Just don't give up and try, try again until you succeed. Don't change the dream, change the plan. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next week.